0: This podcast is brought to you by Brave New Coin, BNC, powering blockchain finance. You're a pioneer in the wild west of crypto where chaos rules. You've staked your claim in the market. Now it's time to put your investments to work. Brave New Coin tracks thousands of coins from hundreds of exchanges around the clock, bringing order to the chaos with expert insights, price analysis, and the most comprehensive market data on the planet to help you make better trading decisions. There's an overwhelming amount of blockchain data, thousands of coins and tokens trading on hundreds of exchanges, operating 24-7, 365 days a year. Crypto never sleeps. How do you make sense and find profitable opportunities in the sea of chaos? Brave New Coin has been organizing, cleansing, and classifying crypto data since 2014, with historical market data all the way back to Mount Gox. We produce actionable insights for traders and custom market data solutions for enterprise as well.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest I've been looking for for a long time, Mike McCallowitz. He's a multiple-time author. He did Clockwork, Profit First, Surge, mm-hmm. The Pumpkin Plan, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Great guy. Um, I think by listening to him and getting to know him, you'll just feel like he's a real nice guy. And he has got great ideas that are super helpful in business. So. Glad he's here. So, Mike, thank you for coming.
2: Rich, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you weren't born uh, all systematized and running a perfect business. So I know you've spoken it a million times, but just tell listeners a little bit about your history and what were some of the pain points that led you to uh, say, I've had enough and uh, come up with systems and write books.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm an entrepreneur my entire adult life. Even out of school, I, out of college, I, I started my first business right away. I had um, the fortunate success of, of building a couple companies and selling them. Uh, right in the beginning, I, I was in the tech space, I, the computer systems, sold that to private equity. I uh, was involved in computer crime investigation with my second business. Uh, we actually were one of the oh, facilitators wow. of the en- Enron trial. Yeah. Um, so and sold that company to a Fortune 500. The, the thing that happened, though, I think, and the interesting part of my story is uh, I thought I knew everything. I was like, clearly, uh, I know business. I you know, Businesses want to buy me. I, I got part of the Enron trial. Um, I, I worked with celebrities. Christy Brinkley hired our company to manage uh, an investigation around her divorce. And so I thought I was this, this hot tomato. Like I knew everything. And so oh, I started mm-hmm. a third business as an angel investor. I was so bad at it. I was in the wrong place. I had no right to be in that space. I actually now lovingly call myself the angel of death. When I look back on that, I was so bad bad at it and lost all my money. And um, what was interesting was it it sadly took me the loss of all my money to realize how little I knew about entrepreneurship. Um, I had to face my family and tell them that we lost all our money because of my idiocy with this new business. And uh, it also forced me to oh it was brutal dude I, I had to sit down with my daughter my nine-year-old daughter and tell her we couldn't afford her horseback riding lessons. it was like 20 bucks a lesson oh, for a group session i'm like we we can't do it and um the devastation it brought you know to her to everyone and um it forced me is your, is
1: your uh is your wife still with you same one
2: yeah yeah she did not, yeah god bless her she did not leave me i i i think a lesser person would have i think i would have left i uh, we lost our house in this. We lost our possessions. We, we had to restart. Um, and, and she stayed on for the journey. What I discovered, okay. though, yeah, tell me about it. And what I discovered was that I did not know much about entrepreneurship. I I, I barely was scratching the surface. So I started to uh, seek ways to improve profitability for myself, to, to learn how to bring balance to my life and in business and life and started to write about it first for myself, but then being very clear that this was something that I think I could, as I discovered the solutions for myself, I could give to others and devoted myself to becoming an author. Uh, so I've been an author now for 10 years, uh, started in 2008, written all the books you mentioned and have another one in the works right now. And uh, my, my passion or my purpose, I feel, is really to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty, financial poverty, time poverty, poverty of happiness, all those elements. And... Uh, that's what I do now as a full-time career.
1: Yeah. It seems like entrepreneurs, unfortunately, you know, regular people look at them as like evil, rich people or, you know, dreamers or who knows what. And then the poor yeah. entrepreneur themselves, they have to face all these ups and downs and run their business. And a lot of them do blow up like you did. And I did too. Yeah. You know, I just, you did, I, you, yeah, I got to the point where I would, I remember I was playing Monopoly and I would get all these properties and then lose them all and go bankrupt. And I, I was like, in a Monopoly, I'm doing the same stupid stuff. I'm doing in real life. I
2: will stop this. <laughs> it's true. I love how you defined uh, that that perception of the outside world because that's that is entrepreneurial poverty. The world, the day you start your business as an entrepreneur, the world thinks you're wildly successful. You're a millionaire. You you know you sit on the drink the beach drinking Mai Tais. But the reality is we're working our tails off. Um, we don't have any time for ourselves, and we're not making money. And there's this kind of disconnect between what the world sees and what the reality is. My intention is is to give entrepreneurs those elements of success, wealth, health, happiness, um, because I think really when we are caring for ourselves, we can care for our family, our community, our world. And I think entrepreneurs really drive that. So that's my hope is to eradicate that entrepreneurial poverty.
1: No, that's great. So what were some of the first steps or inklings that that told you, "Ooh, I'm on the right track. This is getting better.
2: So. Um, I think, I think the, the first thing was, um, was, I, I was Profit First. Now, interesting, interestingly, Profit First is not my first book, but it was one of the first concepts I shared. The very first book I wrote was The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, and uh, it was this really edgy book about bootstrapping business. And there's a small little section there. It's literally like two, maybe three sentences that says, if you want to be profitable, take your profit first and start a profit first account. And um, I wrote that in there. I, I was doing it. And as I started to take my profit first in my own business, I started to, uh, to see the impact that when you take your profit and hide it away from yourself, sure enough, you start finding ways to run your business off the remainder. And because you've taken your profit first, you force profitability. So I started to see success for myself. And that's why I wrote about it. But then I started getting these, these calls and these emails from people saying, wow, I, um, I tried out that little thing. And sure enough, that works. Well, one of those entrepreneurs told the Wall Street Journal, because the Wall Street Journal called me and said, we want to write an article about this. And uh, they, they commissioned me to write an article about Profit First. Uh, I became uh, a, a subsequent columnist for the Wall Street Journal for about a year and a half to two years. And this one article started catching the eye of thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs. And that's when I knew the change changes started. I was like, oh my gosh, these little insights that are helping me in my own business, there may be other entrepreneurs out there that can use this stuff too. And that inspired me really to go all in as an author and, and not to do anything else, but just share these things I was finding.
1: Well, that's great. What what level did you start at? Did you do like 1% or were you aggressive at first with a percentage or you know, how has that changed over time?
2: Yeah. So with profit first, the, the core concept is you pick a percentage you want, um, 10, 15, 20%, whatever it is, and um, take that money out of your income and allocate it aside, And so... There's these targets you can set. And when I wrote Profit First, I researched different businesses um, based upon the revenue you have. But it can be, you know, 10, like I said, 10, 15, 20, maybe even 30%. But I started there, assuming, well, if these companies are achieving 20% profit, I'll start there. And I took 20% from day one of my business. And then I was like, I realized, oh my gosh, this is crushing my business. I can't do this. And I wanted to give up on the system and say, well, clearly this is a stupid idea. But a, a friend of mine told me about this concept of small steps. Not regarding profit, but other things. Like when you want to make progress, take small steps. So I said, you know what? Instead of starting at 20%, let me allocate 1%. So I restarted the system for myself with 1% profit and found that was a no brainer. You know, if I I brought in $1,000 any particular week, I'm taking 1%. 1% is nothing. 1% is 10 bucks hiding away. If I can run my business off a grand, I can run my business off 990 bucks. And uh, that started to give me confidence. I wasn't getting rich this way. By getting rich in confidence. Then slowly over time I moved that one percent to two, four, eight, you know, moved up to ten, twelve, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen percent. And um yeah, I started slow and that that would make all the difference.
1: Well it's good. I'm glad I asked you that. And then how did the um systemization part uh, come to you? Did, was, did that only happen after you were relaxed and you, you had like a you know a side purse going? Or like what was the mentality that led you to these systems in the clockwork book?
2: Yeah. So I've discovered, and I'm actually right now, I'm writing my next book, and I've discovered there's this kind of hierarchy of stages that a business goes through. One of the stages is profit. Like, and, but before that stage comes sales. Like I think the foundation of every business is sales. We need some source of inbound income. If we don't have that, if there's no money coming in, nothing else matters to the business. But once that's achieved, the next level up then is retention of money, a portion of it, which is profit. Once we have that, what the entrepreneur experiences emotionally is a degree of confidence. Like, wow, okay, I have a little cushion of cash. That helps a lot. I can be more selective in the customers I work with. And now what becomes important to the entrepreneur is time. Like, I don't want to carry the business on my back anymore. I don't want to be working ridiculously you know, long 12 or 14 hour or 18 hour days every day. No, I want to have balance. I want the business to serve me. I want it to be a joyful experience. So the next level up past profit is definitely time. And the goal of my book Clockwork is to show entrepreneurs the path to making a business run on automatic. What I thought it was, was productivity. When I started researching it, I was like, okay, we just simply need to find ways to become more productive ourselves and our team. What I discovered, though, in the process of researching it is that productivity, while it is a necessary factor, it's not the solution. Because productivity, at a certain point, um, starts feeding on itself. For example, if I want to get more work done, I become more productive. That also means that the more productive I am, I can do more work. So therefore, I take more work on. But to continue to do that additional work, I need to mm. be even more productive, and to be, you know, and, and it keeps on packing on. You become impacted with work, which will, you know, kill you. I mean, figuratively, but maybe even physically too. What talk work about is choreographing all of the resources that our company has. And maybe we're a company one, maybe the resources are our vendors and software and technology. That can be organized and coordinated in a way to achieve the results without making effort. I think um, when you have employees, you can even take that even further. I believe the definition of an entrepreneur is not to do work, but to design the work is to Coordinate these resources to work collectively to achieve the outcomes we want. And then, as an entrepreneur, have the courage to stand aside as the business runs itself, which mm. is it's weird to use the word courage there, but it really is to remove our ego from this and really let the business run on automatic and simply be a counsel to our business or a visionary for our business to help choreograph all those elements to make sure it can run on its own.
1: It's hard to do that. I know I've, I've been in those stages before. I thought. A few years ago, I sat and I thought to myself, I would like to hear your answer to this question. If you think about the head of like Apple or the head of Google, what do they do all day? What do you think that someone that runs a company with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of employees, they literally can't do a single thing in the business because it would suck them up in two seconds. So what what do you think they do all day? Just you know,
2: yeah, I mean, could you imagine Jeff does. Bezos? Like, you order something from Amazon, he runs down to the warehouse and packages it for you. I mean, <laughs> that'd be absurd. He started that way, he was the guy packaging it. But today, he's the visionary. And what I assume, and I can't, of course, speak for his specific day, but what I've seen through true entrepreneurs, these, these visionaries, is it is contemplation of concepts. There's a lot of time thinking. They're, they're given mm. the strategic challenges, saying, listen, you know, for Amazon to continue to grow, Mr. Jeff Bezos. We need to open a new location. Uh, we need to have you know, other access in the US. And Jeff is the one contemplating it. And that's literally what they just went through was designating uh, the city to move Amazon to. And I think they considered hundreds of cities. And, and Jeff was involved and in, in, in coordinated the strategic decision on, it's actually best for us to be in two cities. And they made that declarative. I think they're going to be in New York City and Karen, the other city was they, they recently declared. Mm. You know, This is something I think we all need to do. I don't care how small your business is. You need to spend time. We all need to spend time thinking about it. There's a reason why we have those shower moments. When you're in the shower, you can't have your phone on. I mean, maybe you can, but hopefully you're not on your phone. (laughs) Um, you're, You're not reading email. You're not doing anything about the business. And all of a sudden, those miraculous thoughts pop up. It's like, oh my gosh, we could just do this. And you have these great ideas because you've actually removed yourself from the business. We need to make that a deliberate practice. Uh, maybe, maybe the shower is a solution. Just you know, turn up the hot water and stay in there for an extra 20 minutes. The value you're gonna get from that alone in improving your business outstrips any effort you can make in working inside the business. So we need to True. spend more time thinking, for sure.
1: So what's a standard allocation uh, again for people to dip their toe in? You know, just like profit first.
2: Yeah. You say, all right, I'm
1: gonna spend like two whole days a week thinking. That probably is too much. So, you know, how could people start with that process? For instance.
2: Yeah, the old one percent rule. So if you've never taken profit before, start with one percent and just get into the habit. With uh, time, you know, if you work a forty-hour week, take one uh, percent of that. Um, you know, I don't know what that turns out to be—about thirty minutes or forty minutes or whatever—but you take one percent right. of that. And what I'm saying is, once a week, on your it's maybe you drive to your office or whatever, pull that car over. Don't walk into the office. Sit in the parking lot for forty minutes put the phone down and just sit there, stare out the window and just let the thoughts roll. Just ask yourself, what's the biggest challenge we're facing in our business? And let the thoughts roll. You will discover more things about your business just doing that than anything else. So start off slow until you start seeing the impact it has. Um, It's extraordinary. And and what I do, I do it with the morning routine. Uh, I exercise pretty much every morning. And uh, during that time, I will spend a little time just contemplating, just letting thoughts roll. And, uh, I keep a notebook next to me, and sure enough, these, these great ideas come up. Actually, uh, the, the newest book I'm writing came up out of just one of those thinking sessions I had.
1: Okay. And then the key is, too, is at first, if you do 30 minutes a week, no one can really feel guilty about that. Or if they do, yeah. they're so out of control that you know they need it more than anyone else needs it.
2: exactly you feel guilty about spending 30 uh, 30 minutes of thinking you know and the funny thing is like there's a statue dedicated to this and i'm saying this partially in jest but this is true too like there's a there's a statue called the thinker and if you think about the thinker there's this naked guy sitting there with his chin on his fist just thinking but but it also speaks to the importance of that part of the human experience is we all need time just to think to let our thoughts flow and uh as entrepreneurs in a distracted society, we spend so much time doing, always trying to do more that um, we've lost that most important talent of of thinking.
1: It should open up like a uh, a posh you know temporary jail in Beverly Hills for Silicon Valley where you can go <laughs> and they'll they'll lock you in and they charge you for the hour and you have no devices and you just got to think, you know. A jail. I like
2: Bubba sitting there. He's like, Hey, what are you in for? <laughs> I'm just here to think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just for yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, very good. And then the, let's talk about the systems now, the clockwork. So, how do people start uh, tackling that? What do they look at first in their business to systematize? Yeah, and, you know, what's some helpful thinking there?
2: That's a great question. So, I, I think w- w- as I was doing the research for clockwork, I think I found the most important function inside every business. I given a, a label. I call it the QBR. Stands for Queen B Role. And how I derived it is, I was studying organizational efficiency and found what I believe is the most efficient organization in the world, not human-based, it's uh, insect-based, it's a beehive, they can scale very quickly with very low energy use. And so I was looking into this and there's a simple protocol in beehives. And, And what it is, is that every bee knows if they are failing to produce eggs, that the beehive is in jeopardy because the lifespan of bees are very short. So their survivability or thrivability is contingent upon the production of eggs. And every bee knows that it must protect that. Now, not every bee produces eggs. In fact, only one bee does. It's the queen bee who produces eggs. But it's not that the queen bee is the most important. She does that job. But it's the role of producing eggs. If she's failing to produce eggs, they will remove her and uh, spawn a new queen bee. So she isn't relevant. It's the production of eggs that's relevant. Well, in our business, every business has this equivalent Called the QBR, the, the Queen Bee role. What is the egg laying, if you will, for your organization? What does your survivability and thriveability depend on? Now, in the book, I give a, a little more detailed process, but the shortcut to finding it is this: first, identify what your brand promises. Like, what is the, what do you truly promise your customers? What's the one big guarantee or commitment you're making to customer? Um, for me, as an example, as an author, I commit and promise to make complex concepts simple. That's my commitment. Then we say, what's the one activity that makes that promise reality? Activity is the QBR. So for me, it's the production of books. If if I don't write books that deliver complex concepts simply, I'm in real trouble. My survivability and thrivability depends on that. But I think a a better example real quick is is FedEx because we all know that brand. FedEx promises to deliver packages on time. That's their big commitment, their big promise. Well, if we peel back the onion one layer on FedEx, the activity that makes that a reality is logistics, the movement of packages. So the QBR, the most imprit- critical role of FedEx, is delivery of packages. Now, how this ties in and why this is so important is we need to make every effort to make sure that one and only that one function is humming at full speed. Other things are important. They need to be working. But if they struggle, they aren't nearly as important as logistics. If FedEx says, you know what, uh, customer service is going down for two days and we're not going to be able to offer customer service, everyone goes to voicemail. Will that hurt FedEx? Yeah, a little bit. But if they l- deliver packages on time, because that's their QBR, it doesn't matter. But if, if FedEx says, you know what, we're not going to deliver packages on time for the next two or three days. They actually actually may not even deliver any, quite frankly. Let's see how that goes. FedEx, they'll be all over the news. and FedEx is in deep crap. So we need to know what yeah, our true. QBR is and protect it.
1: Okay, so protect, identify the QBR and protect it. Got that?
2: Protect it and make sure it's always um, humming along.
1: Yep. So what um, I, I saw actually, I was I'm on your uh, email list. It's a great list. I saw that you're actually starting to offer workshops now on I guess how to identify the QBR, how to protect it, and how to run your business like clockwork. So yeah, I don't know if you still are offering them. Do you want to talk about that for a bit and what's involved? No, thank you. Yeah,
2: yeah, I am. Um, And I'm doing it actually following my own methodology. So, you know, one of the keys here, if I believe the true definition of entrepreneurship is not working, you know, not doing work, but it's designing the work. So, you know, how do I run workshops yet not do the workshops is basically the challenge in front of me. So what I did was I uh, created an organization uh uh, through a licensing agreement and have a president for the company uh her name is adrian dorson she's phenomenal and her and her organization run the workshops so i don't do it my the qbr for me is to write books that have big impact make complex concepts simple and then we started this organization called run like clockwork and adrian runs all the workshops i do some cameo appearances that you know every so often but she's running it and um that, that's how it is. The beautiful thing too, is the impact it's having. This is such a passion of hers that we've already had, um, we've done, I think three workshops already. We've you know we had nearly a hundred different businesses go through this process. And uh, I got a call from one of the customers that went through it, a guy named John Briggs owns a company called Insight Tax. He's like, this has been life-changing um, because it, of the impact that Clockwork has business and his implementation to this workshop. He actually just acquired his first company uh, and they've doubled their revenue and it's running more efficiently than ever. So, uh, awesome. I'm super excited about it as you can tell. But,
1: um, yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Uh, so to, to find out about the workshops, people should, I guess, get the clockwork book and then they'll, uh, there's a call to action in there to get on your list or should they go to your yeah, website? Yeah, well, right. That, that's you know, what where my marketing
2: be. method, right? So, right. If you can get the book, um, and I think the book's a great starting point. So anyone that's not familiar with it, check out the book and then, um, Yes, download the resources. That's our marketing. Um, but we think it offers huge value. We have a quick start guide and all these different things. Once they download it, we will introduce them to the workshop. But if people want to skip all that, there's a, a business. Our business is called Run Like Clockwork. You can go to runlikeclockwork.com and we can get you right into a workshop.
1: Yeah, and I happened to listen to the audio book. And uh, it was cool to have you read it as well. It was nice to hear your voice and your emphasis oh, on you. terms. And uh, yeah, it was a great book.
2: Here's a little um, business lesson to- there. Uh as, as I was wrote my first book, I, I was talking to people that were fans of other books. And uh, people were telling me, oh, I love Gary Vaynerchuk's stuff, like uh, his book Crush It was one of his originals and others. I said, why do you love it so much? Like, well, Gary, it's, it's Gary. I love hearing his voice. He reads his own books and so forth. And that was clear to me. Oh, my gosh. It, you know, To be an author that people love, you got to read your own books because you, you know why you wrote certain things. You can emphasize it. You can break free from the book and, and share stories. And um that's been so cool to get that feedback about reading my own book.
1: Yeah, because you think, you know, when uh when someone writes a book, they're this I don't know, ethereal, godlike presence. And then when they read it, they're yeah, yeah. like, Oh wow, that's what they sound like. And you you find right, like better and it bonds yeah, you, yeah. you know. It's true. So, very cool. Well, um in regards to the clockwork process, what uh, reservations do you hear from entrepreneurs or what things do you see that they struggle with when they're trying to you know go on that journey?
2: Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest struggles, and I face it too, uh, is I call it the superhero complex. So as I started to go through clockwork for myself, I wrote this book. I started researching this six years ago because I needed to get myself out of my own business. And uh, the superhero complex kicked in. I get satisfaction, meaning it serves my ego, when my business has a a problem and my employees come to me and I swoop in and fix it. That one client that's not happy, I get on the phone with them and make everything all right. Uh, that one vendor who wasn't delivering their promises, and I sorted it out, make it happen again. Uh, you know, whatever it is, the fact that I could swoop in and fix it really satisfied my ego. But now, what I realize is that superhero syndrome actually damages my business. Every time I was swooping in, that meant my employees weren't addressing it. Uh, I was I was taking away that ability from them um, of fixing themselves and just stripping away myself. Kind of like the superhero. Uh, persona of, uh, from the movies, you know, Superman fights Lex Luthor, but that also means that the police department's not learning how to fight Lex Luthor. They're dependent upon the superheroes. This weird dependency kicks in. Also, I realized, you know, Superman like destroyed half of whatever city's in, like New York City, trying to defeat Lex Luthor, and then leaves all the cleanup, all those buildings and stuff to humanity and says, Hey, you guys fixed all the damage I caused. <laughs> you
1: know,
2: yeah. superhero, in that respect, Superman's kind of a jerk. And, uh, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm kind of being a jerk. I like, I am swooping in. I don't even see the damage I'm causing. My colleagues have to clean it up. And there's this dependence upon, upon me. That's been the biggest roadblock is just getting over myself. And I think many entrepreneurs struggle with that. I think what we need to do is change our label. No longer consider yourself or ever see yourself as a superhero. See yourself as a super visionary, someone that sees what the future can be like and then Empowers the team to get there. Encourages the team. Choreographs all those resources to make that reality. That that's what will get the results.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's very helpful. Hmm. Um. In the book, so you lay out the path from start to finish for people.
2: I do. I do. So clockwork okay. is a uh, is a seven step process. And you know, as we're going through this interview, I mean, you're you're walking us down a perfect path. You know, start off with that one percent. Like, how do you start this. You, you you get out of the business just for 30 minutes a week uh, just to think about the business and that's the start. But then there's different stages. I talk about capturing systems. As we do things, how, how do we capture it? Not through SOPs. I don't believe in SOPs whatsoever. But how do we capture this and transfer it to other people? Um, I talk about the, the. there's a flow called the ACDC, which has nothing to do with the band, but is about as awesome as the band. Uh, the ACDC is the flow of tasks through business. A is attracting, we need to attract prospects. C is convert them to customers. D is deliver on the promises. And the next, the final C is collect money. And when we see through this flow, when we have problems with our businesses, whatever the problem may be, we can look at and say, you know, pinpoint where in this flow is the problem and then start fixing that. So clockwork is a structured process of starting at this foundational level of just give yourself time to think, Get through these diagnostic tools like the acdc and so forth capture systems and ultimately the, the book concludes with the the big commitment we need to make and i'm actually doing it myself uh, my next one's in two weeks is taking a four-week vacation what i believe i'm convinced of it now is when an entrepreneur can be extracted from their business for four consecutive weeks that means the business is no longer dependent upon the entrepreneur therefore we need to declare a four-week vacation um, what will happen is when you do this for your own business, if anyone listening in says, OK, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take four weeks off. Panic will ensue. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, how, how am I going to pull this off? I don't think I can do it. Yeah. But then then we start saying, well, what do I need to do now uh, to take one step toward this? And then what do I need to do next and so forth? So my four-week vacation is uh, December 7th to January 7th. So right before we're recording this, I'm, I'm splitting in, in two weeks. Um, but I've been working on this for a year and have run on multiple tests to see if I can uh, the business can run without me. I've left the business for now for 10 consecutive days and we didn't make it through painlessly. There was oops, uh, bumps and bruises and I came in and, and set up new systems, but now we're in a position where I'm confident my team will be able to handle this. I do know this, my business will not die in the next four weeks while I'm away, but when I return, it may not be perfect, but anything that's not perfect is the next thing I need to start designing an improvement for, and then I can take my next four week
1: vacation. That's great, that's fantastic, okay um so I know you got to go soon just a question or two. so the next book that's coming, what can you say about it?
2: so yeah, so the next book is um it's I discovered uh there's this hierarchy of needs that businesses have now there's a thing called the Maslow hierarchy of needs that speaks to human needs, but I found there's uh, the same kind of hierarchy as applies to business and specifically every business for it to uh, survive. It needs sales. That's the foundational need. But the next level up is profit. Once you have sales coming in, you need to be able to extract some of that money to sustain. That's profit. And then we can keep going up this hierarchy. The next level up is is um, time. We talked about that in clockwork. The next level above that, I believe, is relevance where clients see you as something beyond a transaction. You're more significant than that. And the highest level is impact. Impact being where we are literally changing the world, that we're on a mission greater than a transaction or on a mission of, of serving the world, having a positive impact. Mm. Um, well, the next book is about navigating through these stages. It's about pinpointing where your business is right now and what you need to do next to keep on elevating up to a different level.
1: And what's the name of the book?
2: Uh, to Be Determined. So right now, oh, okay. called, uh, right now it's called Fix This Next. But I don't think that's going to be it. It may be called Ascension. Uh, there's about 50 titles floating around. Uh, unfortunately, that's only picked about like four or five months before publication. You, in many cases, from my experience, I write the book first, and then the title
1: comes about after. That makes sense. Yeah. When do you expect it yeah. to hit uh, Amazon and other places to be
2: purchased? Uh, it's booked for a 2020 release. So it's probably going to be February or March of 2020. Um, and even though I've been working on this oh, wow. model now for about two years conceptually, in earnest working on it for about three months. Um, It it, it literally takes me that long. It takes me three to four years on average to really compile
1: and complete an entire book. Well, they're worth it. I mean, the books have a lot of great concepts. Thank you. you (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, very good, Mike. So, I mean, this is awesome. So, I know you're going on vacation, but your business will still be there to answer people's inquiries. So, what's the best way? What are like several different ways for people to reach out and to you know get your books uh to look at the yeah. software course, et cetera?
2: Thanks, Rich. Um yeah, we'd love to connect with everyone and yeah, we we'll absolutely be here even while I'm on vacation. Um, the website is the best part to start. It's it's MikeMcCallowitz.com. But I know this already. No one knows how to spell Mikalowicz. It's Polish, it's long, it's ugly. There is a uh, there's a much better uh domain. It's MikeMotorBike.com. That's uh, my shortcut. I, my nickname in high school, as an aside, was Mike Motorbike. I've never driven a motorcycle, by the way. But uh, but if you go to MikeMotorbike.com, that'll forge onto my site. And uh, every book I've written, there's free chapter downloads, So you can start reading immediately without having to buy anything. Um, I also used to write for the Wall Street Journal. So that's up there. Uh, all my articles. I'm a blogger. I'm a, a podcaster now for years. All that content's up there for free. Plus, it's a, it's a pretty fun site too. When you get navigating around, you'll definitely see things you've never seen before on other sites.
1: Okay, well, very good. Well, Mike, oh. thanks for coming, and uh, you know, I really appreciate it.
2: Richard, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
1: You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies